0: welcome to a little impolite podcast i'm your host devo and in our show i invite lesser known entrepreneurial juggernauts who i've met through the interwebs who i meet at grocery lines i literally met somebody last week at uh, a grocery checkout and she does a pretty fantastic business in this in the space of yoga and Struck up a conversation with her, and she's going to be on the podcast. So anyhow, um, I invite lesser-known people that you might not have had the opportunity to hear about what they're doing and bring them on the show and talk about the impact that they're having on the world. It's a story, storytelling podcast at the crux of it. I want to hear who these people are, what they're doing, how they got to the points where they are, the stories that they tell and the impact that they're having, and share that with you. So today's guest is Hannah Morel and she is a financial holistic financial education literacy impact finance financial coach and it's funny cuz a lot of people don't really know the first thing about money truthfully you know whether it's investing whether it's portfolios whether it's taxes and I'm one of those people. And, and you know, growing up, my parents never spoke to me about anything in the financial world. I never learned about bills. I never learned about credit cards. I never learned about buying a home or buying a car or financing. I didn't learn jack shit. And then I got to college, true story, show up at college one day, freshman year, walk into the cafeteria, and there's these fine-looking women sitting in a desk out in front of the post office where everybody had to go, high-traffic area, And they smile and they bring me over to there and take advantage of my virgin, virgin soul. And they're like, Hey, we can get you this credit card today. Give you a $5,000 credit limit. You know, you know, it's free money, like that sort of stuff. And I'm like, dude, are they talking to me? Um, I grew up poor, have zero, zero, any, like my first pair of cleats, I played football in college. You know, this, my first pair of brand new cleats that I ever owned were purchased for me by my coach in college. So like, I'm, I'm coming from the tracks, man, and so someone saying, "Hey, here's a credit card a five thousand dollar limit, and you can buy things and put things on new shoes, new jackets, whatever." I signed right up for it, and the first thing I did is go on, go buy a bunch of different clothes and and new soccer cleats and a bunch of football stuff and just everything. And before I knew it, I had racked up a bill of five thousand dollars. This is a true story, and I got a bill in the mail saying I owed five thousand dollars, where I could do a minimum payment of like you know a hundred dollars. And I was like, "Wait, I have to I have to give this money back." Truly, like. I'm just letting you know that this is a true story. I know I'm sounding like an absolute fool by telling this, but I had no idea what that meant or what it was. And I suspect that there are other people just like that. So I met Hannah. um, She's doing a variety of amazing things on finances and shame around money and relationship coaching for couples and how to reduce procrastination around paying your bills and how to budget and how traditional budgeting doesn't work. All sorts of things that help people like you and I not only talk about money, pull back the covers on it but have open honest conversations about it. So it's a really important topic, especially in today's day and age you know there's a lot of stuff going on with the decentralization of and crypto and digital currencies and and we have no idea what the banking system is about to become in the next few years. like there's a lot of stuff going on. So I thought inviting her on today would be a really timely discussion around finances and money and banking and, and hear her story and see all the things that she thinks the, the the near future holds for us. And pretty much that's it. So let's meet her. I'm going to go ahead and bring her in. And hey, Paul, good to see you. Thanks for joining the show. And Hannah, there you are, young lady. How are you?
1: Doing well. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Um, it's my pleasure. You're going to do, I'm going to get a lot more out of this than you are. So thank you. <laughs> I do. <don't
1: know. laughs> Let's, let's aim for both getting something, and, and right. of course, viewers and listeners getting a whole bunch.
0: So we do have a couple of people in the live audience already, and they might ask questions, um, but I don't know if my introduction was sort of suffice to what you do, but I wanted to just give you a few minutes, if you could, introduce who you are um, more appropriately than I did and just tell the people you know what your, what your profession is, what holistic financial literacy and coaching and the things that you're doing are, and I'm really excited that you came to the show, so thanks for joining me today.
1: Thank you. Um, So as you mentioned, my name is Hannah Morell. My website is yourworthcoach.com. I say I'm a holistic financial coach. And holistic means that I respect that every part of our lives touches our money and our money touches every part of our lives, right? Financial literacy, which is part of this, really only talks about the money mechanics. So like the difference between a stock and a bond and how compound interest works, right? Those are all important things. And I teach those things constantly. But just like, Diva, I could teach you the difference between a stock and a bond in 15 seconds if you don't already know it. It's not going to change your life, right? That's financial literacy is not at all concerned with implementation and integration into our lives. Um, so that's what I'm concerned with. Um, and that touches a lot of parts of our lives. So I always say that there's a spectrum. Uh, for those of you who are just listening, I'm just holding up my hands. Um, on one end of the spectrum is financial literacy. That's, you know like i said how to pay off your debt really fast for example on the other end of the spectrum is the soft skills so that's where we get problem solving decision making you mentioned reducing procrastination which is way more of a widespread problem than you might imagine um and for couples especially that's around communication and connection around money as well and you kind of need the whole spectrum you like people often ask, okay, where's budgeting on this spectrum? I'm trying to line myself up here. Where is budgeting on this spectrum between the hard skills and the soft skills? Budgeting is everything. You need every single part of the spectrum to be able to set and keep a budget. And that's why, like you said, conventional budgets just don't work. They'll work for about a month and then we fail, right? We didn't keep, couldn't keep with it. Uh, we need a better system. So I do a lot of system building. Um, I guess the fast and dirty um, is... I, I teach people how to trust themselves with their money. Um, that's a big deal. So did that sort of answer your question, Diva?
0: Yeah, so trusting themselves with money encompasses, uh, this is where the holistic perspective comes in. So it's different for everyone, right? And, and yeah. I guess my interpretation of trusting people with their money is teaching people how not only to manage the money, but how to spend it, how to be self-aware around what you possess mm-hmm. and what you don't possess debt to income ratio, that sort of stuff, right? Is, is that where your your kind of your core it's expertise is?
1: There, but also deeper than that too. So, Explain that to me. It. So essentially I'm teaching my clients to do two things and two things only. It's just that those two things have feelers that touch every part of our life. And those two things are being aware of our own behavior without judging our behavior. Because everybody on the planet right now is capable of being aware of their behavior with shame and judgment. But I teach people how to do that without being without judging and shaming and feeling guilty. Go ahead. Let
0: me stop you there. So how does that yeah. apply? The shaming and not judging themselves and and what how does that apply to my fiscal policy, my my financial wherewithal? How, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm seeing the connection just yet.
1: So one of the things that we work on being aware of without judgment is our spending. Mm-hmm. So what we're looking for is patterns in our spending mm-hmm. and acceptance of what of our behavior is kind of the only way we get to change. So this is sort of a a longer term sort of idea that being aware of our behavior, any of our behavior, but in specific our spending behavior, um, is important to be able to change that behavior and and specifically being aware without judgment. Go ahead.
0: So if I'm a paycheck to paycheck type of guy, I'm not saying that I am, just saying, scenario, hypothetically speaking. (laughs) And I just got a big bonus check or I just earned Uh a big, a big, uh, I just signed a big contract with the client instead of being conservative or whatever my, whatever was best for my financial management, I just go out and spend all that money right away. So you're saying by being self-aware of my spending patterns, you're sort of like having a self-awareness around what I'm doing when money comes in my space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And we, we do that work, pretty much any concept that I teach. I teach it first on non-financial things. So we're always going to practice on non-financial stuff. And these are the games I teach. And the purpose of that is to keep the risk down so that by the time this, so they've practiced this, like being aware without judging ourselves, like we've practiced that. And by the time we get to that in the financial realm, which is the beginning of budgeting and tracking, and my client's like, oh, Hannah, we already know this. I'm like, yeah, because we practiced it two months ago, right? So we're always practicing at the not on the on the riskless risk, low risk, let's say low risk side of things. So um, and yeah, we can talk about the games that I teach. Um, but the go ahead.
0: Before we jump into all uh, the sort of the what's yeah. in the house, what makes you an expert on this? Do you, do you have a personal story around some failures with finances? like What was your upbringing? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how you got to this point and why anyone would listen to you and what you're doing? Why do people sign up with Hannah Morrell to get financial coaching?
1: um like everybody um like i was not given the tools um by my parents which we're not going to think too badly <laughs> you, about our you heard my introduction would... right yeah it's i can't think of i can't think
0: of one time in my entire childhood where yeah. my parents came to me and had a discussion with me about money management i do have a funny story to tell you about that in a second before you after you finish keep going
1: okay um yeah and we can like my parents, my parents have attended my classes. Like they're like, where did you get this from? It's because <laughs> they had to go out in the world and find it. But mm-hmm. let's not think too badly about the parents, right? They're using the same tools that they were given. Mm-hmm. You can't use a tool you've never been taught. Um, so let's think gently about our parents. And most of the time that sort of withholding of financial stuff from our parents is meant to protect us, um, right? It doesn't in the long run, but it, that is usually their um, intent. Um did I go
0: ahead? I didn't say anything.
1: Sorry. Oh. No,
0: no, you were gonna, you were gonna tell me your expertise and why. <laughs> oh, yes,
1: my story. <laughs> I forgot. I Stay I focused, girlfriend. About, right? Stay with me here. <laughs> Don't. That's
0: my yeah. job to get lost. I'm the one who normally yeah. goes off on a rabbit hole here. <laughs>
1: um. So. Uh, my story is I was brought up and I'm a Gen Xer um, solidly Gen X um, and I was told there's a couple things you don't talk about ever you don't Mm -hmm. talk about politics you don't talk about sex and you don't talk about money Um, so I uh, let's go back 10 years in time and I have all my entire adult life sort of walked the razor's edge of my finances right like I was Absolutely, keeping myself up all night, doing the math over and over and over in my head. I had a good job, so I was making okay money, not great money. Um, and I wasn't—I'm not a big spender, right? Like, so I don't have fancy shoes, and I don't have the slickest little car, um, and I don't have big screen TVs. Uh, so it was always confounding to me, like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like, why can't I was always just like two days late on rent, and right? Always just a little bit. So. Uh, I grew frustrated right around my 40th birthday um, and decided that I needed to get my, get my ass educated. And I did. Um, I reached out to the financial services world, which is where most of us will find like the financial literacy side of things. Unfortunately, almost all of that ends in a sales pitch. Um, and I actually joined that world for about two years um, and found very quickly that that was not what I needed. While I deeply understood you know, they had a great financial education program that, of course, ended in sign here for your life insurance. Um, It was not enough. Um, And I was, uh, I I was noticing that with my own clients that they were asking me questions that when I took them back to my leadership questions, like they actually can't keep to a budget, like, what do I do? And the response was, well, eventually, they're just going to have to do what you tell them to do. And that was not, what i wanted to do like that i did not want to be that person for another person so um i began sort of slyly and secretly developing the curriculum first for myself because i knew that i was missing the soft skills side mm-hmm. so i had the, the mechanics um right like i could do compound interest in my head that's not a feat It's uh-oh where'd you go devo i don't go know it keeps
0: one. it keeps going in and out i'm not sure sorry okay. But I, I heard everything you said.
1: OK, good. Um, so I had the mechanics. I needed the soft skills. And that took two years to kind of build the curriculum out. And during that two years, I had several, quite a lot of what I call the guinea pigs. So these are like the very first clients. They were unpaid clients. Um, and they I don't think they truly understand how much they impacted and helped me grew, grow the, the curriculum. Um, I am forever grateful to them. Um, and so about two years in the curriculum felt the, 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 growth in the curriculum started to slow down and growth. The curriculum will always change. It's always going to grow. It's always going to change it and it has to, um, but about that, that two year mark was when I kind of say that I was in business and took on my first paid clients. Um, and I've been growing ever since. So, um,
0: I want to go back to the soft skills piece. Thanks for mm-hmm. sharing that. So tell me exactly what you mean by the soft skills. So you have the literacy down, you got through the financial education that you took, you understood you know, the difference between stocks and bonds and that sort of stuff. And and, and I have a great understanding of that as well. And you know, I'm an investor and whatnot, but mm-hmm. what does a soft skill comprise when it comes to my financial wherewithal?
1: Problem solving, decision-making, communication, um, and for couples, especially communication and connection. Um, It also involves system building, um, which is huge. So building routines, rituals, um, eliminating bad money habits. I hate to say bad, but eliminating money habits that aren't serving you (laughs) and bringing in new routines and the routines and rituals and, and systems must be able to adapt. So like Diva, your life 10 years ago probably looks pretty different than it does right now. And your Mm -hmm. life 10 years from now is going to probably look pretty different as well. So you have to have a system that adapts and changes with you over time. That's one reason why those traditional pre-made budgets, you know, the budgets that say spend 20% of your income on housing and 10% on savings, whatever. That's why those don't work is because they allow no change. It makes the assumption that your life is going to be exactly the same every month until the end of time, which sounds... Horrible. Right. Like June's typically look very different than December's, for example. Right. Mm -hmm. And as our lives change, we need a system that can change with us. And so one of the bigger things that I do on the soft sales side that I do with my clients is help them to be able to iterate and build, build change right into the system like expecting the system to change. So did that answer your question?
0: Yeah. So let's, uh, thank you. Yes, it did. So let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, a fictitious client, if you will. So you have a client who, and you can just give me an example one, if you can, can you walk me through just sort of high level, 30,000 altitude, A client comes to you and says, Hey, I found you online. Like love everything you have to say. Can you take me through a sort of a high level, how you would engage with the client? To get them back yep. on track with their finances and I, I specifically want you to address some of these soft skills that you're diving into with the client and, and give me some examples like we notice somebody who's a, who whose spending habit is as soon as they get a lot of money they go and spend it right away or they don't save correctly or they're not investing mm-hmm. like give me hard examples if you will of a fictitious client that you may have already worked with
1: okay easy peasy. Um, so typically, so I do work with individuals, but I work with a lot, a lot, a lot of couples. So I'm just going to use center of a couple example. Um, most of my folks are higher income. Um, and they come to me with the shame around, like I make enough money. What the fuck is wrong with me? Right? Like we're making enough money. We have no savings. We have credit card debt, maybe even a little student loan debt on the side. We've got two kids. We don't think we're like managing money correctly in front of them like they're concerned with the same things like we all are like i'm not modeling good money behavior for these kids like i don't you know we only have so much time with our kids we need to make sure that we present we we are a good example for them so Um, let me
0: interrupt so their problem is similar to what you gave your gave as an example with yourself is you made a lot of money but you never seem to have a lot of money, if you will. Like, you were always sort of paycheck to paycheck and wondering where the hell did all the money go? And, and i and just, I'm going to use me as an example. When I first got out of college, I'm sorry, I just want to interject with this because I can completely awesome. I can completely confide with this story. When I got out of college, um, I took a, uh, a pretty big, big deal job for me, which for me, was like, I was making 75, 75 K. They gave me a job, like straight out of college. I'm like, Holy shit, man. Someone's going to pay me $75,000. but I didn't take taxes into account. I didn't take utility bills into right. account. And I sure as hell did not take any sort of habits into account. And right away I went out and bought a brand new car and I bought a new town home. And like, I was just buying things, new clothes. I'm like, and the next thing I know, I was like, wait a minute. Um, I don't have $75,000. They only give me a certain amount each month. And then they take taxes out. And I was like, wait a minute. My $75,000, when it really comes down to it, was about $35,000. So I was like, nobody told me this. So I can And, I, was, and I, remember be- I remember literally thinking, and I was talking to my girlfriend at the time, like, I have no idea where all my money is. I, I, I know I'm making a lot of money, but I don't know where the money is. So anyhow, sorry, just wanted to say yeah. I totally, I totally yeah. identified with that story.
1: And that's especially as we go from making not very much money to making more and more money, there is sort of this promise that we make ourselves like, this is it. This is going to be the thing that makes it so I'm safe and healthy with my money and happy. And I'm going to have enough, right? Finally, have enough. And what we, you, let's forgive Baby Devo a little bit here, right? You were acting on the information that you had been given. Like, you can't, I expect nothing else from, especially a young person who has a lot of money like that, that is going to happen. It's predictable. Um, So that it would have been weird if you somehow had been able to not do that. That would have been, um, that would have been atypical. So what I see typically is that they check some boxes, like, okay, I'm making this much money, and we've got the life insurance, and like, uh, maybe we have a 401k. So I've checked all the boxes, and then they like, they stand around for a little like, okay, why is it still sack though, <laughs> right? Why do we still? Why are we still having arguments about dumb stuff like going out to dinner? Like, why are we? And this applies, of course, to individuals too. Like, why can't I ever seem to like get ahead? And like, the water heater blows up, right? The water heater floods the downstairs. Like, I can't. We, I don't have time. I don't have money, and we kind of get locked into this sort of scarcity, sort of crisis, stress, anxiety, and we really don't know how to get ourselves out of it. And all the while, we're like. There are people that are making a whole lot less than I am like it. And why can't I do this? There's a certain amount of guilt and shame that comes along with especially high income earners who definitely feel like they need to obfuscate or hide from the people around them. Maybe even their partners. That's something called financial infidelity, how desperate they are and how much it hurts. So, okay. So they they're hurting, right. And they, they find me one way or another. Um, so we're still, we're
0: still using this hypothetical couple, they've come sure. to you, they make a lot of mm-hmm. money, but they never have enough money to make ends meet, or they're always sort yep. of like squandering their money. So they've yep. come to you and say, they, Hannah, I need your help. Like, this is our situation. Take it's me not- from start to finish sort of what that initial discovery looks like with the
1: client. So I have an info session. It's typically about 45 minutes. And during that info session, I'm asking a bunch of questions and I'm doing a lot of listening. Um, and I'm listening for a couple of things. Um, I don't work with abusers and it doesn't happen very often, but financial abuse is a real thing. Um, so I'm listening. What, for what, that.
0: what does that mean? Financial abuse.
1: Financial abuse is um, it happens in domestic couples, but it's also part of elder abuse. Um, um, it is basically taking advantage of somebody financially. It can even be something as, as simple as like removing um, like making it so someone isn't able to work. Like one partner making it so another partner can't work, can't earn, um, can only, t- like we could talk Devo for about four hours about financial abuse. Um, so I, uh, yeah, it's taking advantage of somebody else um, financially. So I'll leave it there instead of going off on my next little whoop because I was about to. Um, so I'm looking for that. I'm looking for clients who would be better served by therapy because I'm not a therapist um and i'm looking and listening for and this is going to sound a little counterintuitive but i'm looking for how uncomfortable they are um if they're not super uncomfortable if they're quite certain about them then they're probably not ready yet but if they're uncomfortable and they're hurting and they're and especially with partners if they're both hurting um then we're ready to get some work done um,
0: so you're looking for people who are more uncomfortable with the situation because they're in a, a sort of a fight or flight stress situation. Is that what you're what you're saying?
1: Yeah, not quite all the way to like full on anxiety, full blown panic attacks and that kind of a thing. But that discomfort the, ugh, why isn't this working? Like it always just feels just a little bit off that little mm-hmm. kink. And you know, like, that's what I'm looking for. Um,
0: and that's your ideal that, client.
1: That's my ideal client. The other ideal client I have, which is like, those are folks ready to optimize, like things are working okay, and they're just ready to kick it off, right? That My work with them looks very different. Um, but So let's go back to my couple who's just like, they have enough income, but it's just not clicking. So info session, they're able to ask me literally any question that they can think of. Um, I'm asking them lots of questions. Towards the end of the session, we talk about logistics. So we're talking about homework, scheduling, pricing, you know, how long we work together, that kind of a thing. So if, if they're game, then we do our first actual session. And everybody's pathway looks different. So I'm just going to kind of like, okay, so let's just, in this first session, let's say we're talking about procrastination. Um, So I talk about the cycle around procrastination. Um, and then, so we dig deeply into that concept. Um, and then I... Um, and, and I'm sorry, I'm
0: going to interject. Procrastination yes, is please. centered around maybe not paying your bills on time this is where we're going with that is is that really the crux of it
1: but it's the procrastination looks like lots of things it looks like avoidance like the bills are piling up like literally Uh a stack of bills i've had people show up and show me their stack of bills because they're like needing to like shame themselves in front of me um we're also talking about like not getting work done in a timely manner which indirectly affects our income um we're talking about like even stuff like the dishes not getting done, like procrastination and avoidance in all of its forms is, is a protective strategy. So that's one of the things we talk about a lot. If something hurts us naturally because we're animals, eventually we're going to be, begin avoiding that or shutting down from that. So, and couples do this with their conversation. If their conversations around money are painful or uncomfortable, eventually they're going to stop having that conversation. So that, it looks like that too. So. So
0: so the, procrena- the sorry, the procrastination element of this, it doesn't just apply f- from your perspective. You don't just want to know about procrastination as it pertains to their finances. You, you sort of want to have a snapshot of who they are holistically, which is why I use that term mm-hmm. in their lives in general. Do they procrastinate with chores? Do they procrastinate with health, you know, exercising? Yeah. So it's procrastination in general, and you sort of you have a, a methodology that's able to ascertain that through when you're interviewing with clients.
1: Yeah. And uh-huh. it's most of the time it's not, it's not witchcraft. I'm basically just asking, okay, you know, I'll listen for certain things. Like they're like, things are backing up or I can't get ahead. I never have enough time. I'll tell you, quick, Devo, this is a, a pro tip. If you ever hear anybody say I'm bad at managing my time, that's secret code for procrastination. Yeah. Um, so I'm listening for those kind of things. And then I might gently kind of call it out. Do you feel like you have trouble with putting things off mm-hmm. or like you never have enough time? And they'll, and I'll get an affirmative noise or sometimes they'll like, oh my God, (laughs) yes. And then I know that that's probably one of the first things we're going to be talking about. Um, Okay. So let's say, so the first session is always a test drive at the end of the first, because I don't do any coaching typically in the info session. So the first session is an opportunity for them to kind of get an idea about what I actually do at the end of that first session. They can tell me to fuck off right? They can absolutely tell me. I even say, do you want to continue working with me at the end of that first session? If they say no, then we're fine. No money changes hands. If they want to continue working with me, then we talk about how they pay me. Um, So after that, um, we, I am making- And they can't procrastinate
0: paying you once you move to that space, right?
1: (laughs) That, and that's sort of a lovely thing. And weirdly, sometimes the the first time that people, either couples or individuals, have had any kind of clarity on a spending choice is the time that they think about how to pay me, because I have several options. And and that's, that is an interesting thing for me as coach to watch, is watch them think about that and talk about that. And sometimes they need a little extra time. So let's say I'm meeting with them at 2 o'clock in the afternoon my time. I say, okay, so tonight by... 5 o'clock my time, just let me know what you want to do. So I'm pretty gentle. um, And sometimes people go away and they don't come back for three months. And that's okay, too, because I need to move at their speed. Um, I'm practicing something called trauma-informed and also client-centered. So I am meeting them exactly where they are. And if they need to go away and think about that for a little while, then they're welcome to do that.
0: All right. So our fictitious couple really loves you. Yes. They've decided to move forward with it give me high level some of the stuff that you start working on right away after you've done this discovery, you sort of have a, you have a snapshot if you will, of of the trouble spots with Mm -hmm. them. And and you've determined, you know, they're, they have poor communication. um, They have procrastination. Some of the other key buzzwords you've dropped. How do you get to the bottom of fixing those problems? Is this a lot of psychology Mm -hmm. that's involved or are you just being very systematic with everything?
1: Both. Um, And, uh, um, both. I'm pretty transparent about the what I'm doing with them as I'm doing it with them. So I'll say things like today I'm thinking about talking about one of two things. I'm thinking we might talk about procrastination, but I also think we could talk about the conversation between the two of you. Um, And we're going to do both of these eventually. So it's not like you choose one over the other. So what would you like to talk about? So usually, and then there's some thinking and some hemming and hawing, and they'll come back with what they, uh, and if they don't have a preference, truly don't, then we will, I'll just go with what I was thinking about. So let's say, let's say we're going the communication route. So I'm going to teach them some small underlying tools. I teach almost all of my clients two tools right out of the gate, no matter what we're going to talk about. Um, It's an awareness tool. And it's a communication tool. Um, two different tools. Do you want me to do you want me to teach them to you now? That'll I would love to good- hear
0: those. Yeah, I would love to hear okay.
1: them. Okay. So the first where I teach the awareness tool um is okay, I'm gonna ask you to use your imagination. Um so come with me like out. I'm pretending like you're a client, at the yeah, yeah. Um so okay, let's go out into the jungle in our imaginations. There's a scientist, and scientist is observing a wild animal. We're going to assume that the scientist is a good scientist. Um, Would the scientist be trying to change the wild animal's behavior?
0: If I'm a good scientist, would I be trying to change the wild animal's behavior? I would think not. I wouldn't want to interfere.
1: That's right. So um, let's say the scientist observes that the wild animal has changed its behavior away from what the scientist considered the wild animal's norm. So the the animal has changed its own behavior. Would the scientist try to change the wild animal's behavior back again?
0: Again, if I'm a scientist, I'm assuming that I have sort of a no contact policy as it pertains to the natural order of things. So I'd probably just sit back and just observe. Mm
1: -hmm. And you might be a kind of curious, like, Mm -hmm. Oh, that's weird. I've never Mm -hmm. seen that before. Mm -hmm. Um, We're assuming our scientist is a good scientist and using something called naturalistic observation. So let's say the scientist um, observes that the wild animal has eaten a large quantity of something disgusting. Would the scientist write down in their notebook, oh my god, this is the stupidest, dumbest animal I've ever seen. I can't believe how gross and dumb and stupid this animal is. Is that what they would write down in their notebook?
0: I can't imagine that that scientist would have much of a profession after this, but I'm, so I'm going to go with no. But they would document would it.
1: They- Well, what would they actually document?
0: I think that they would just document the abstract concept that the animal is doing something outside of its normalized behavior and just sort of like we should probably put a a flag on this to sort of see if this is something that's evolving into something new.
1: Exactly. So date, time, and as cleanly (laughs) as possible what happened, but no value judgments, right? So no shaming, no judging. So why the heck am I talking about wild animal and scientists? And th- I actually get the face sometimes, like, what are we doing right now? Like, especially because this is our typically our first session. So the reason I'm talking about a wild animal and scientist is because I want you to be both. I want you to be the scientist observing yourself from that sort of clinical sort of distance perspective. And I want you to be the wild animal just doing your wild animal things. Like this. This comes into play like nutritionists talk about this if you ask somebody to document or diary that journal their food suddenly their food changes like all of a sudden i'm just eating spinach all day long right so what i want people to do as they're beginning to practice observing their own behavior without judgment is i don't want them to change their behavior it sounds totally counterintuitive aren't we after change yes we are but what we're doing with that scientific perspective is we're practicing a couple of things the first thing is we're going to Practice just clean observation. This happened, then this happened, then this happened, which is the second thing we practice, which is pattern recognition. And we are all good at pattern recognition. Human beings are almost too good at pattern recognition. So first thing was observation. Second thing is pattern recognition. And the third thing that we do is we can do experiments. We can interrupt our patterns. We can try new things. And all of this must be done without punishment or reward. And I think punishments and rewards are something that we try to do to like change our own behavior. And it does not work. And it's not a, not an accident. We don't like like if we punish or reward the wild animal, then we're going to get back fucked up data. So we need to make sure that the experiments are kind of clean and the experimentation is ties right back into that system building. Um, so that's kind of the first little. And then, of course, we talk about it deeply. But um, what questions do you have about that first practice that i teach
0: i don't have a lot of questions other than i'm hearing a lot of sociology involved with this i'm hearing a lot of psychology i'm hearing some paleontology sort of like you're mm-hmm. taking context you're taking history you're taking learned behaviors you're taking sort of the psycho- psychoanalytic perspective of who mm-hmm. we are as humans and then you're <clears throat> you're re- reverse engineering or reconfiguring that to sort of come up with a snapshot of what our positive outcomes could be for this potentially
1: Potentially, yeah. Okay. And I'm using something called cognitive behavioral therapy as well. So um, CPT is deeply built into my curriculum as well. Mm. So,
0: do you have a psychology background? Or is this all self taught?
1: Um, just totally informal. I am an avid reader and yeah, yeah, um, yeah. talking about experimentation. Remember, I talked about those first couple of guinea pigs. Like, this is where I cut my teeth. Um, and if a tool or a concept did not work, I either modified it or pitched it out. So, this. Frankenstein curriculum has definitely been built over the years, um, by me meeting what my clients need. So if it's not working, it doesn't stick around. Go ahead. So,
0: so in a perfect world, uh, let me just back up for a second. Are there more people who do a lot of what you're doing, or are you sort of unique in, in your approach? Uh, I, I would imagine that you get push out, pushback using the words cognitive and sociology and paleo. I know these are my words, but psychology, because I was just having this conversation this morning with somebody, um, you can't use the word therapy, for example, and what you're doing is very like, yeah. similar. No. Yeah, and what, but what you're doing is yeah. very therapeutic in a sense that you're analyzing people's context, you're looking at their patterns, you're observing their behaviors, you're understanding their history around things, and then you're using that to arm yourself with information to help them mm-hmm. fix the problem that's at sort of the source origin of their financial wherewithal problems in the first place, which is kind of like therapy in a way so it's, do you, do yeah. you get pushback from that given that you don't actually have a psychology background you know you're not a therapist that sort of stuff
1: no no and i no i don't because i'm i'm doing coaching so i don't know if you've ever heard of top down bottom up mm-hmm. framework between the difference between therapy and coaching um I make that very clear. And I'm real clear with my clients, like when it's time to seek therapy, like we are, or any other, like my little bubble touches a bunch of other little bubbles. It touches financial services and it touches therapy and it touches even like tax stuff too. So as we get closer to that other bubble, um, I'm really respectful of my lane and I, I'm able to say things like, this is now we're now approaching, we're still okay. Okay. But we're approaching a part where, like, it's time to seek out a, an actual, like, a, a CPA, right, or a therapist, and and I can help my clients.
0: What What does that look like? See- Sorry, what does that look like?
1: That looks like so. W- I can- Give me an
0: example. So you're working with me, Ooh,
1: okay?
0: And you're uh-huh. working with me, and and you get to the point where, like, okay, I there, I can't help you any longer. This is something that goes a little bit deeper than I'm qualified. Mm-hmm. W- what What does that actually look like? What is that catalyst that tells you that?
1: that we're not progressing um so there's
0: something deeper systemically involved with why i'm not able to get to the point where you need me to get to with you
1: yeah exactly so and that's and sometimes i choose to continue like i have a pro bono couple pro bono clients that will never will never be done working with each other that's okay i'm not I, but I'm still not providing therapy to them. They just have some underlying, they have traumatic brain injuries. So they have some underlying things that means that we we'll need to repeat ourselves many, many times. And that's wonderful. Um, but for most other clients, if we're reaching a point where the it's stalling, then I'm pretty darn direct about like, I'll, I'll flag it. I'm like, we're stalled. We're a little bit stalled right now. I was wondering if we could take a different path. So I'll try a different path. And if that doesn't work, then I'm pretty dang honest about like, I don't think that it's, it's unethical for me to continue working with you.
0: Um, and how often does something you... like, how often, sorry to interrupt, how often does something like nope. that happen? Pretty
1: dang rare. In the last four years, it's probably happened twice. Um, I'm pretty dang good at screening my clients really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of my stuff like my website my um like my google ads if they're running like all of those are also really a screening tool for me too um like i'm pretty darn clear about the fact that i'm a coach not a therapist Mm -hmm. but i can advocate for therapy i think therapy is medicine so i if my clients are also in therapy at the same time that is fantastic (laughs) like we make so much progress so it's that is magic um I feel like we, like, started talking about 12 things so far, Devo, and we've got, like, a way through each of them, and then we got, but it's fine with me because I'm all, I'm random. But, well, um,
0: the problem with our our podcast is that I, I really only have an hour, <laughs> and there's so many things I, I want to ask you. And, you know, <laughs> so I'm trying to sort of get a high-level sample, yeah. if you will. It's like going to Costco on a Saturday morning. You have the samples mm, everywhere. Samples. Yeah, yes, and like some it. of them I like, some of them I don't. But I want to be able to give Not my audience much. a lot of the information around who you are and what you're doing. So I'm sort of sorry. I apologize, but I'm just kind of no, cutting it. No, into it's
1: okay. Um, I'm so, we'll let, go ahead. <laughs> so
0: let's go back then a little bit just to pacify yes. you so you have this couple you're working with um you've gotten yeah. into this you've gotten into the counseling coaching phase with them what does what does a typical session look like that are they are they, are they scheduled weekly are they monthly do I come in every week and sit with you mm. for an hour do I is, am I always there with my partner give me some high levels on that what's that look like
1: So sessions are typically an hour, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. If you happen to be my last client of the day, we can take advantage of those. And those tend to go a little bit longer. (laughs) Um, So typically an hour, although I do have an intensive where that's different. Um, uh, Typically at the very beginning, we're meeting every week for about a month. And then it begins to sort of naturally stretch out as the homework gets a little bit um, bigger, and we're stretching out to every two weeks. And then we roll at about every two weeks for a while. And then as we're getting in deeply into the system building and the budgeting, we'll move it out to about every three weeks to every four weeks. And then my clients are just about done. Um, my, my purpose is to be out of a job, which is not a great business plan, but I am my my purpose is to give my clients everything that they need in those sessions, so that by the time we get to quote unquote graduation, they absolutely don't need me. I tell my clients, you'll know when we're almost done, when you start thinking things like, oh, Hannah isn't as clever as I thought she was once. <laughs> um, and I'm like, when you start to think that, and I'm like, everybody goes, no, we'd never think that. And like 12 sessions later, they're like, huh, Hannah's not really as clever. I'm like, oh, we're there. Um, so I'm almost an accessory at the end. Um, they're like, why are we still meeting with Hannah? I'm like, Perfect. Typically uh, for couples is about, is my average is 15 sessions. And it's not that some couples meet with me 10 and some couples meet with me 20. It's like 14, 15, 16 is right in there. Individuals, because individuals have fewer moving parts is about 12. Um, uh-huh. If I'm working with someone who's in recovery from divorce um, or separation, then we're probably going to be like 13 uh-huh. um, just because there's more there. Um Yeah.
0: Finish this sentence for me. Everybody needs financial coaching because
1: um, we all need to learn how to trust ourselves with our money.
0: I, I find it interesting the whole space around the psychology around it, and and because it's not something that you really hear a lot about. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're really taught you know to invest our money, to mm-hmm. you know have passive incomes, all these sorts of stuff. But we're never you don't really ever hear stories or or. or Anecdotally, or anything other for that matter, around having this relationship with yourself, a yeah. Why is that? Is this something that we're taking on because of the parenting DNA from our parents and from their parents and their parents? Why is there sort of this lack and this gap between the self-awareness piece and the conversation around money in the first place?
1: I think that gap is closing. Um, but I think it's the there's a lot of traditional wisdom around money that is good or bad based. Like you could either make good choices or bad choices, wants versus needs, which by the way is bullshit. And y'all can stop using wants versus needs now. Like that sort of binary black and white thinking has been deeply, deeply wound into our our, our finances how we talk about money or in our case don't talk about money but we can look like look at sports coaching sports coaching absolutely takes a holistic approach everything that you do affects your performance right what you mm-hmm. eat how much you sleep so we're totally okay with that and then like when it comes to finances no there's a right way and a wrong way no there's not there's there's a there's a way that works for you and a way that doesn't and it has to be individualized and we don't take we don't take that into account especially with personal finances like with big with business finances adaptation is normal it's expected we expect like large companies or even small companies we expect them to adapt their budgets over time and expect them to adapt their like how they move their systems over time why don't we expect the same things with our own personal finances Mm -hmm. so um, i think there's a lot of good analogs for what i'm doing out there in other worlds um, and there is something called financial therapy, um, and we don't have time to talk about, you know, why that, why I'm not a part of that. Um, but it it does not. It is a step one, step two, step three, step four, step five thing, and then you get spit out at the end, and you're fixed. If you're not fixed, you did the system wrong. Um, I build systems around people, with people.
0: You mentioned earlier in the conversation that when you're working with clients, there is homework involved. What what sort of homework is involved in, in a service working with you?
1: <laughs> so I aim for about five minutes a day or about half an hour a week. Um, I don't know if you've ever worked with a coach or a therapist who's like, has you read a book between sessions? That's not going to happen because um, it doesn't work. Um, for the most part, I have my clients choose their own homework. So I'll say we've talked about A, B, C, and D today. What would you like to practice? Um, and I do reinforce and use the word practice a lot because I am I wanted to keep the stakes fairly low. Um, I do occasionally assign homework if I'm gently sort of nudging us towards something. So I might like, I'd like the, I would encourage you guys to do this for homework tonight, uh, not tonight, this week, um, or I, I'll give them two homework options. Either of when them would be would serve the path that I'm s- sort of smushing us gently towards. So homework is pretty easy. No, let me let me back up. Homework is not easy. Sometimes I'm giving these giving folks things to do that are really homework is simple, not <laughs> easy. Um, sometimes it hurts a little tiny bit and then, you know, we're practicing something new. So it's always feels a little bit awkward or uncomfortable.
0: I was, uh, doing some research on you prior to the show and you talk a lot about financial trauma on your website mm-hmm. and, and you've mentioned it a couple of times today on the show. What is financial trauma? How does one, how does one get diagnosed with it or where does it even originate in the first place?
1: I don't think it's a, an actual diag like a DSM diagnosis, um, but it is related to and can be part of other kinds of trauma. And trauma is just basically that long-lasting, lingering um, impact of a situation, of a traumatic crisis situation. Um, and financial trauma is unusual because we can do it to ourselves. Um, like, we can financially traumatize ourselves, and we do, and most of us do it kind of all the time. Like constantly shaming ourselves and that kind of a thing where we get kind of locked into this sort of trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, we can be financially traumatized by others. Like children get financially traumatized by their parents. Um, I'm not sure if, if you qualify for that. I don't want to throw your poor parents under the bus. Mine either. Uh, but like an example is something called financial incest, which sounds disgusting because it is. Um, or it's also called financial enmeshment. Or basically, like having the kid answer the phone when the debt collectors call, that's considered financial enmeshment. Um, that's trauma. Um, so, trauma in all forms is that long lasting, um, deeply impactful hurt and and i can speak from
0: experience i understand the impact that financial incest can have on somebody but just explain from your perspective what does that do to a child who's involved in a situation like that and how they carry that forward into their adult life
1: um it they tend to internalize a lot of that Uh um so that they make it so it's their fault so um and that's just that's just a, the nature of being a child and having our brains not all the way done yet um, is that we're going to like if Mama's sad because of the money and I am talking to the bill collector, um, we somehow make it so that it's our fault. So we get failure built into us um, from financial incest. Um, and we tend to get sort of paralyzed at a certain point or, um, and, or we can do both, um, tend to go into the hyper, um, hyper-individualized, hyper-individualism, perfectionism, overwork, you know, those are the people who drop dead at 35 from working 80 hours a week. Right. So yeah, all of those can be what I've seen is it comes out of, of financial incest and financial, financial enmeshment. Um, Yeah. And it happens a lot around divorce and separation too. Go ahead.
0: So I'm going to give you a real life story from myself as a child. Just so I'm, I'm just curious how you would, I'm going to use the word how you would diagnose what my issue was early on. Um, I used to have a lawn mowing uh, business when I was a kid, and you know I was one of the only few younger children. And I think I started cutting lawn around eight years old. and yeah it was pretty cool and I actually I had some (laughs) I had some decent money that I was bringing home I probably at the peak of my career was probably cutting 20 yards in the neighborhood for me on a weekly basis type of thing yeah so um anyhow where I'm going with my story is my dad wouldn't let me keep my money he would take it from me and he would put it in his desk drawer and
1: -hmm. the only way
0: that I could get that money from him is I had to fill out a a, which I understand now a bank deposit slip or a bank um uh, Interesting. Like a, a bank withdrawal slip from him and I had to literally write how much money I wanted to take out from him I wanted to I had to write an explanation of why I wanted to use the money and third I had to write why I thought I was deserving to have the money oh. that I had earned this is a true story. I'm not making I can't make this shit up. And I had I, to fill no, out this I, believe you. I had to fill out this piece of paper and I had to turn it into him and he would sit here and he would review it and he would like make his decision on whether it was worthy or not. And most of the times it wasn't worthy of getting the money. And I used to, so I resorted to stealing money, my own money. Yeah. So I would resort to stealing (laughs) my own money by not turning in my money. And he would always be like, wait, this, you know, last week you turned in $300 and there's only a hundred dollars. this week. what happened? I was like, Oh, you know, Johnny didn't need or Mrs. Graves didn't need her lawn mode this week. She told me I could just have the week off. And so I was like, and I started looking, I'm going, Somewhere with the story, so I started thinking, I believe it as, as an adult. Um, I started re- realizing that, that a lot of the behaviors of my adult life were sort of manifesting themselves from behaviors that I had learned as a child, and, and I never put the connection together, you know, growing up and then you know, speaking to therapists and business coaches. Like, you sort of start to have like somebody yeah. reading your jar from the outside, right? And it's like, um, holy shit, you're uh, absolutely right, I had no idea. Yeah. So, <laughs> knowing that story and i'm telling you this as a client for the first time what what's your diagnosis for that and, and how would you approach me dealing with if i assuming i hadn't dealt with it yet how would you as my financial coach have me address a situation like that
1: so i don't diagnose cuz i'm not a therapist i know um, yeah yeah so. i get it <laughs> so nice i was told to not know. to
0: use those words all the time and i'm like whatever we're just having a conversation so i know what
1: to um i i would uh, first i would kind of ask if they, so I'm big on consent. And that is something that your dad was not practicing. Although I can probably appreciate what he was trying to teach you as an eight-year-old. But what you did is the predictable, normal outcome. When we are restricted, this is actually what I would say to my client, by the way, not to Steve. When we are, when we feel restricted, manipulated, when we feel that we have choices taken away from us all living creatures when they feel that sort of restriction and threat because that's what it is are going to do one of two things if not both we are going to rebel or we're going to be resentful that is a normal functioning human brain right so you are stealing the money was the normal reaction that was a healthy reaction to feeling that um feeling that being being cornered right and feeling that like that understanding that I'm going to be, I'm going to be a failure at this where you, you did perfectly. I could absolutely see an eight-year-old, anybody doing that. And, and then, you know, parent wondering why the heck that went off the rails. Like, of course. So what, what I would work with, um, of course I would give a couple options and start fairly slow is some ideas around how to build some resilience around money. And it, that mostly is going to be, Gosh, I don't know. It Let me pause the you. Go Let ahead. me pause yeah. you. I guess
0: I, I want to be clear on my question. So yes. <clears throat> assuming I don't know and I'm not introspective and I haven't gone through therapy and I haven't sort of figured out my situation and the, the effect that those mm-hmm. sort of behaviors had on me as an adult, if I were to tell you that story for the first time and I hadn't yet figured it out. How would you, without using the word diagnose, say, okay, based upon what I heard you say, I would imagine that that's manifesting itself in your adult life in a variety of what types of ways? Like, what what's that interpretation around that? What would I potentially be doing because of that exercise?
1: First, I'm going to ask some more questions, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna dig even more. And what I love about human beings is that, for the most part we're able to process through this stuff so my job first would be to ask some open-ended questions like seriously tell me more about that and then i would say like how else do you think that's affecting you right and i let people talk talk and talk and talk and talk and like just like you did um you most people can move themselves through that which is important because then they have ownership over it and i'm not like expounding and like saying anything wise, right? It's not important if I'm wise. It's important that people have that introspection. Um, then we're probably going to begin working on some actual tools. Um, so I would probably be first looking for uh, awareness, like, like maybe in this next week, one option for homework might be maybe in the next week, I'd like you to like just make a note of how many times that story pops into your head. And the, just the beginning to be aware that that is still with us after all of these years is important. Um, and then we begin to naturally notice patterns. Like I thought of that that story, and then my behavior was blank. Or this triggered that story, and then for the rest of the day I felt like shit. Like noticing those patterns is is really, really, really important. And this is where, like, the, we're we're then if we need to, we can we can talk about the impact, right? How did that impact you? How is this impacting your decision making now? Like, and if it's like the, if it means that I'm hoarding money, which is one of the things that is also a scarcity sort of thing, like spending money too much, but hoarding money too much. If this, if you if this um, theoretical you um, is hoarding money, then we can begin to talk about some, some tools around um, trusting ourselves around that. And I'll I'll be honest with you because this is, I'm working on super limited information and that exa- I'm really hesitant to actually deploy a tool because um, yeah, because we're in the theoretical and I don't want to, I don't want to deploy, I don't want to say a tool, but like it would probably be something along the lines of, especially if it's a first session, we're definitely going to be doing the wild animal and scientist thing. Um, uh, and what and- will that
0: tell you though, in terms of, of that exercise?
1: the wild animal and scientist it it just begins to to track some awareness of things um and that that all by itself is enough of an interruption if we need to do an interruption we can certainly do that like occasionally i'll have people like i've got some bands coming in too like you you move the like little awareness band like every time you think about that you would move it from one wrist to another and we're not punishing we're not rewarding we're just sort of marking it we're just sort of being aware of it i don't think we are as aware as we think we are of the internal language that we have with ourselves that that affects how we behave and how we use our money. So like somebody with your story, which is weirdly not co- uncommon, unfortunately, um, is like there's other little eight year old
0: boys whose father stole their money from them after they mowed lawns.
1: Not exactly that story, but you'd be surprised how much like <laughs> I need to you, connect with these people. You, they're everywhere. Do you? that's my the,
0: my, that's, my tribe. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> well. Cause we don't have tools to talk to each other about this, right? Like sometimes this is the first time that somebody has told that story. Like I'm talking to couples who've been married for 25 years. And I hear a story for the first time, similar to yours, that their partner has never heard. We don't have good tools to talk to each other. Um, That's if I could do one thing to change the world, I'd be out of a job by the way, but if I can make it so that everybody in the world could just magically talk to each other, they're their partners, their family about money, then we'd do that. But anyways, back to your story. Um, I would predict in my little head, if I'm doing my like little problem solving in my expanding, attracting, contracting flowchart in my head, I would predict that that person um, works with a lot of failure in their life. Like they are always like, and they're um, a lot of times telling themselves that they don't deserve things. Um, so we would talk, um, about what it's, you know, some of that underlying things and then talk about, and, and I'm not a positive affirmation person, so you're never gonna catch me, but you do deserve good things, do you That's right. bullshit and it's not, I'm not a positive, to- toxic positivity is a real thing. So I'm not I'm not giving a very satisfying answer about what I would do is because I don't have enough information. So
0: understood, understood. Well, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I was just that's
1: okay. That was an excellent story. Thank you for sharing that. Because right now somebody out there, Devo, just connected with that is like, holy shit! I'm not the only one. Or I wasn't doing that wrong. No, you were being an eight-year-old. Like oh yeah, (laughs) Hannah, I've got so many stories to tell you. I I, I'm one of (laughs) twelve children.
0: I have eleven brothers and sisters, and I have so many stories centered around on finance that I could share with you from growing up that have had an impact looking back on you know how I view money and my psychology yep. around it and scarcity I realized that I had scarcity yep. a few years ago yeah a of scarcity um, yeah so um I just want to switch gears as we're coming up to the end of our show so there's a lot of things happening right now around the world financially speaking what's a what's a what are some takeaways that based upon what you do what you know and then holistically looking at the markets and the financial Globally, What are some things that I can do right now by not work if even if I wasn't working with Hannah Morrell that I can do to start safeguarding myself and, and getting me set up for financial success?
1: Um, on the soft scale side would be to practice that wild animal and scientist practice observing your own behavior without judging it um, and it's hard like it's that is not an easy thing to do um because if we can judge ourselves for judging myself Ugh, I just did it again I just told myself I'm a piece of shit and now we're judging ourselves for judging ourselves for judging ourselves so practicing that sort of distance perspective and being aware of our behavior cleanly like without that extra like, bullshit going on is the first step to even something like tracking your spending, which is vastly more complex than it sounds like it should be. Um it, is that what you meant? Or did you mean like on the the No, I'm just saying if, if
0: if if I had if I listened to this podcast, but I didn't really necessarily want to start working with you right away. Mm-hmm. What is three things, for example, that I could do right now in my daily life to start setting myself up for financial success. Like I'm touched by your podcast. I realize that I may not be completely, I may not be completely congruent with where I'm going with my money. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I recognize some patterns, et cetera. So I'm saying, are there three things that I could take away from this podcast today with you? You know, I heard observing my behavior. So I've observed mm-hmm. my behavior. I see that I spend my money as soon as I get it. But then what should I start tracking my habits, tracking my spending? Like, give me some takeaways that I can have.
1: You can begin tracking or just like tally marks. If so, there's something you wanna pay attention to as long as that doesn't become sort of a punishment thing. Sorry, my, alert. my computer's just telling me all sorts of things I need to do next. Um, other things that I would uh, recommend would be to maybe begin keeping a journal. So I am personally not a journaler, um, but you, you can. that gives us good data looking back in time. Um, that's not me being a hypocrite. This is that it works with some of us and for some of us, it does not. Um, And another thing would be to be brave. This is my third thing. And this is the hardest thing I know, is to begin talking to the people around you about your finances. Um, And that if enough of us did like Diva, if you told those stories, if you set aside one whole episode, and you just told those stories, I know that that is like, (laughs) that might feel a little icky. But you will change people's lives just by talking about that by normalizing talking about money with each other and the impact that money has without shame like well like i am the worst at that's not what we're after we're like we're after like here's something i noticed about my behavior with money have you noticed anything similar like that will change other people's lives and practicing that bravery and yes for the first time you talk about that it's gonna feel like you're gonna die I'm, I'm honest with you. Like, then I'm not just talking to you, Diva, like to everybody, if we can be brave and talking about finances with each other, um, we can change each other's lives. And, and it's, it's lonely. It's really, really lonely. Um, not being able to kind of understand what's going on and feeling even within partnerships, feeling lonely. So,
0: what I hear you saying is that we're going to have to have a second show where I tell my stories and you diagnose without diagnosing what my problems are and
1: how <laughs> I can solve them. I would love to see just a show of you just talking, too. But yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I have would so be, many
0: stories. It'd be, uh, <laughs> it'd be, I would be like super how is this? How is this dude even functioning today?
1: And, uh, I, and again, like, there's a lot of us out there who are yeah, shouldering a lot of that in a lonely way and that's that's difficult and and this talks specifically about like our holistic approach like every single part of our lives touches our money and our money indirectly or directly touches every single part of our lives. so yes i would be honored to do that but i think just you talking would also Hmm. be a healing thing for for you if um but i appreciate that take some bravery so (laughs) all
0: right so hannah Morell. Is my guest today a really good conversation on finances and money and the psychology and the trauma of of finance that we hold on to based upon our experiences, you know, our history, etc. Um, the best way to find you is on your website. I'm assuming yourworthcoach.com is that correct? Yourworthcoach.com.
1: Yep, yeah, Y-O-U-R. you are. And I'm going to have um, a freebie up on the website. If you go to yourworthcoach.com forward slash um, impolite I'm going to have something there for your listeners not not right away you guys are listening live on LinkedIn not immediately give me a so, <laughs> so maybe when we maybe
0: when we launch the podcast we can do it that the way podcast, yeah. that'd be great yeah, that'd I'll, be great
1: yeah I have something for you there so
0: okay great I enjoy the conversation. I think that there's a lot of takeaways for me personally that, um, you know, I've been working on myself for a while now, just sort of self-awareness, introspection around my past behaviors and learned behaviors and how they affect who I am as an adult today. Um, Finances is something that I'm really kind of focused on in the last year or so because I realized, like I said earlier in the show, that. Um, I have, I have scarcity because of my upbringing yep. and what I was told and what I was taught and money was evil and money was dangerous and you should not want money because <laughs> money is money's from the devil, like all these sorts of things. And like,
1: oh my God. so
0: yeah, crazy, like crazy stuff. What's crazy to me, and, and I've still just can't quite comprehend how it works is, you know, as children, we take, we're sponges, right? So we take Mm-hmm. All of this information that's thrown at us from our peers, from our friends, but most importantly from our parents. Those are these learned behaviors that we take on, and then we hold on to these forever if they are not addressed. And then they start to yeah. sort of reciprocate themselves and duplicate themselves in a manner of other ways, like we pass them on to our children. You know, I have two young daughters now, and so one of the primary impetuses and catalysts for, for me doing this work, not only to help myself, but I don't want to pass that on to them, I don't want the I don't want those learned behaviors that I collected from a pretty demented upbringing and pass that sort of on to my children. So and I imagine I'm not alone in this book. Like there's other people around the world just like me that have these similar, probably more horrific stories than me that you know don't have the opportunity to change themselves. So if if you had sort of an all-encompassing takeaway like this is whether it's a quote or a statement or sort of like a message that you would like to give my listeners what would that be centered around finances and educating yourself what's that sort of like takeaway message from everything
1: oh dear that's a good one um probably that you're closer than you think you are a lot closer than you think you are um
0: in terms of getting it all together
1: in terms of getting it all together and getting to that place where you're comfortable and you have clarity in your finances and you feel like you're, you're confidently making decisions and you can plan forward into the future. You're probably a whole hell of a lot closer than you think you are. I know it feels desperate and awful sometimes, but you're so, so, so much closer than you mm-hmm. think you are.
0: What do you want people to say about you after they've done work with you?
1: Oh, after they, do, I've, I like, just in general that I, I tell a mean dad joke. um, <laughs> <laughs> um I kind of want to disappear. I like, I want to be sort of inconsequential at the end of our work together. I want them to have full ownership of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I want them to think well of me. And I'll do like six month check ins with my past clients. I want to have fun, but I also want to like sort of be unneeded at the end. So,
0: what is the ultimate impact that you're hoping to leave on the globe with your work?
1: can you imagine a whole planet of people who trust themselves with their money and make good decisions based on 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 that? can you what would that look like what would our what would our credit industry look like right like what would our mortgage well I I yeah it's too big for me to even think about but like yeah the, that we could as a people let's just start with America maybe um we could not have any shame. I have like the saying "fuck financial shame." Um, <laughs> like if we all could just fuck financial shame, that would be that would change the world for the better. I think it would. We would all be much much happier.
0: You're the first guest that's dropped more f bombs in a podcast than me. So thank you. Congratulations.
1: <gasps> yeah, <laughs> I, for those of you who are thinking about coaching with me, just know, and I have a five. <laughs> I'm fine with
0: it. What's your superpower?
1: Um. My superpower, good lord, Diva. Um, my superpower is that um, I can think deeply about things. I can noodle real hard.
0: Thanks for your I time today. I appreciate you. Thank have, you so for much for your time. Your I appreciate you. If you are looking to write your financial situation, whether it's the psychology around it, whether it's scarcity like I had, whether it's just trauma or you are getting ready to get married or getting ready to get divorced and you sort of want to level set yourself and get some education around finances, you can find Hannah on yourworthcoach.com. She's also on Instagram. And she can take you through a a series of services that she offers um, that are all centered around educating you on your financial wherewithal and making you empowered and able to sort of manage your own life instead of having to sort of constantly always be chasing your tail. Hannah, I appreciate your time today. Thank you. And it's been a good show. I would love to have you back and just kind of check in with you in a little bit.
1: Let's do that. Thank you.
0: Thanks.